0: Audio Podcast Network. whine about women from history that you probably didn't know so many baddest ladies to discover so fill your glass up because it's time to whine let's go whoa but let's be clear kelly runs this show oh and emily's the wild card you know whoa so many gals to whine about let's go strap in strap on it's time to start the show welcome to whining about story. With besties Kelly and Emily, we're getting drunk. Where every woman is fantastical and magical. It's time for whining about her story. Yay!
1: That was wonderful.
0: <laughs> I liked that. Okay, so first of all, this intro has been like a month in the making. Because the, the one night that we were going to record two episodes, but then Kelly realized she had to get to class. I had written this. And it was like the week after we we watched Kanto, mm-hmm. So it was like fresh in Kelly's mind, fresh in my mind. But then uh, the next time we got together to record, my notes had like deleted the intro. So I had, so I couldn't do it the last time I did an intro because I had to rewrite and I couldn't remember it. And so I've been practicing it like for two weeks now. <laughs>
1: like walking around humming it and
0: yeah and I uh, I actually previewed it for uh, my friend Jory and her boyfriend Andrew who are friends of the podcast what's up and I'm like oh they actually bop so I was like well the yeah, song really itself like it. the original song does so and then Kelly I was uh, pra- I was like practicing in my head I was bopping my head from side to side and Kelly's like oh god are you doing this a is song, another- song isn't is it another song I was like you're damn right it is it's great cause yeah, it I'm great. the wild card, you know whoa seriously if you guys haven't watched Conto, that movie is fucking yeah, amazing sure. Amazing. All of the songs are stuck in my head simultaneously. Like it switches from surface pressure to the family madrigal to we don't talk about br- like constantly. So that's my life. And now it's your life. I'm implanting it in your brain. Yeah. I'm a little song parasite. Your brain is mine. Song parasite. Yes. You're welcome. All right, well, uh, welcome to another episode of Whiny About Her Street. I feel like the song covered it all. If you weren't paying attention, shame on you. Shame. Oh, <laughs> uh, it is. We're still celebrating Black History Month. Whoop whoop. Yeah. And uh, also, we're having to do a little bit of a uh, a remix with our episode plans because. Y'all, it finally happened. It did. It finally happened. Kelly and I covered the The exact same woman. woman. So I was telling, I was giving her like a little preview of my story. I was like, oh yeah, this happens, but it's fine because no one died. And Kelly's like, And I'm
1: like, I think we're covering the same
0: woman, Emily. And she starts recounting like the rest of the story I was telling her. I was like, no. Yeah. But fret not, because you're still going to get to hear about that woman today, and Kelly is just going to do her other notes, and then we're going to get together a different time and record the other episode, <laughs> so Kelly can cover a different woman. But uh, Kelly, I imagine, is going to have a lot to say yeah, about I'm my so story. so nice
1: that I'm letting you, letting you cover her.
0: Yeah, I mean... I basically did my second story last night, and it was too late i started a I started a part time gig this week, which I'm really enjoying, but it you know leaves me a little less time in the evenings for podcast stuff. Mhm, so it was like, oh shit, is it Thursday already? When the hell did that
1: happen? Yeah, I
0: finished mine last <laughs> night too, so. uh, all right, well, Kelly, you picked our wine today. I did you run very, the show
1: It's a very pretty bottle, it's like um like a corset back, yeah bottle. So, you know, follow our Instagram and look at that picture later this week.
0: Also, uh, become a patron and listen to our bonus Hursery Happenings episode about fatal fashions and learn why this mm-hmm. bottle might actually kill you.
1: Yeah. So, this is called ex- Exhib. It might be Exhibie. It's like Exhibit, but Exhibie? T- t- took the end off. It's French. Of course oh, it
0: France.
1: So, it's a 2020
0: Coste Ooh. Rosé. That was a a beautiful pronunciation.
1: So it says, exhibit, reveal yourself. Destination south of France. (gasps) Cape d'Adie, in addition to its dream beaches, Cape d'Adie is also a French symbol of freedom, confidence, and letting go. You will appreciate this fresh, acidulous, and greedy rosé with delicate notes of red fruits. Enjoy as an aperitif or for any other occasion.
0: Did you practice reading that at no. all? Okay, because you fucking nailed that French. I don't know if you actually got it right, but you say it with enough confidence where I'm like, I believe that you're French, right? Now. <laughs>
1: See, like, this is clearly where our sugar daddy needs to take us.
0: The South of France. It dream
1: beaches. It's the symbol of freedom, confidence, and letting go. Let it go. Yeah, it's the Let South it of France. Go.
0: I seriously, I need to get a script for the South of France. Although we are going to be getting a script soon for the middle of texas
1: texas
0: texas yeah. yeah it'll be fun yeah we're going to uh there's an event being held at the national pacific war museum and we happen to know we were, we were personally invited by the director of the museum, mm-hmm. Keena from H- Historical AF. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I Like when I tell people like, she's oh yeah. She's like the we,
1: education director or something. Yeah,
0: but when I tell people like, oh yeah, we were invited by the museum's director, they're always like, ooh. ooh. I was like, oh, it's not like. I mean, it is. I mean, it is, but it's also like, no, Kina just likes us because we're no. cool people and she's cool and she has excellent taste oh, in women. We're BFFs. We're besties. All right. Well, uh, what should we cheers to? Cheers to our inevitable vacation to the south of France some goddamn day. Heck yeah. Cheers. You know, I actually like this. It, I do too. Like, it's, it starts out kind of mellow and then, it like, fills – this is going to sound dirty. It fills your mouth with flavor. That's what I was going to say, <laughs> Like, yes. I could feel it crawling around the like roof of my mouth. Yes. It's like that foam where you spray it on and it quickly expands. <laughs> I also, I could totally see myself like in a little,
1: little in French bistro France. in
0: the south of France French. where I can just, where I'm on this patio and I can see the ocean waves lapping mm. along the beach and I'm just sipping on wine. I'm just having a brunch. Yeah, having, having brunch. By the way, I, uh, I had my first brunch. I haven't had brunch in years. I've never had brunch. I uh, went with some of my girlfriends to this place downtown and uh, we had like a Valentine's Day brunch and it was amazing. And actually, someone proposed to their girlfriend in the restaurant and she said yes. And like, I'm I'm just the whole public proposal thing for me, like kind of makes me cringe. But that might just because it's not my thing. I'm like no because I feel like pressured to say yes but also you shouldn't be proposing to someone unless you know whether they're going to say yes or not. Like that should right. be a discussion. Um but yeah, it was it was super cute and the whole restaurant Aww. clapped and everything. I was like I didn't know people actually did that. I thought that was reserved for movies. You know, when they're trying to make a really awkward moment where the girl says no and everyone's like, "Ooh." I always
1: wonder with public proposals, I'm like, how many of them like, does she say yes in person? And then later she's like, so about that.
0: Yeah. OK, so we need to talk. I didn't want to embarrass you. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was awesome. And then I kept the Valentine's Day love going because Kelly came over yeah. and we sat on my couch. I watched
1: Disney movies, like 90s Disney movies. Yes. So like peak Disney from like our childhood. Yes.
0: What what we did, we did Lion King, which was amazing because we finally got to figure out what color Rafiki's butt, butt was. is. Yeah, it's the same color as blue. his face. Yeah. 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 Um
1: so Lion King, Aladdin. Yes.
0: And then we started Anastasia. There was another one. one. There's one other we Oh, Tarzan. Tarzan.
1: That, yeah. that is
0: such a good movie. We
1: almost watched um The Great Mouse Detective. But yes. then we decided to watch Anastasia instead.
0: Yeah. Which we didn't get to finish, but no. that gives us an excuse to get together again and start from the beginning.
1: But I got to see the I'll give her a ha and a hi yeah and, and a, a kicker, kicker sir. sir. That is like my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> I mean, that whole movie is great, but I love Bartok.
0: God, I destroyed my CD of that soundtrack when I was a kid. I right. was obsessed. That's what
1: we were talking about, that like, at least from us, those like 90-era Disney movies had like the best soundtracks, like Tarzan, Phil Collins.
0: Ugh. Oh, my God. I love that soundtrack. He came, He did not fuck around. No. He took that so seriously. It was great. Yeah. Also, Lion King, I'm not saying that movie was never dark, but I don't know it hit differently as an adult because not only, spoilers, Simba's dad is murdered in front of him. But Simba thinks it's his fault. And then immediately there's an attempt on his life. Right. And he almost dies it's in the terrible. desert. And he grows up with that like survivor's guilt oh, his yeah. entire life that he killed. And I don't think it hit me that way as a kid because, you know, it was Scar, you know, and it doesn't, right. you don't.
1: And then, and then like, even when he goes back and Scar's like, tell him and he's like, I yeah. can't.
0: And I'm like, oh my <gasps> God, Simba, honey, let me give you a hug. I'll make you purr. Which then we were trying to figure out, like, do lions purr? They've got to purr. I want to hear a lion purr. I want that to be my ringtone. A big cat purring. I assume <laughs> it's similar, but like yeah. deeper. Yeah. Like, <sighs> well, I don't know what that is. That's a motorcycle or a bad truck. Both. <laughs> All right. All of the above. So what are we doing again? What is
1: this podcast? Sidetrack, sidetracking with Kelly and Emily.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. That should be our spinoff. Right. Sidetracking. Yep. So Kelly, you're uh, you're kicking us off today, right? I am, and this was
1: a woman sent to be sent to to be.
0: Sorry, my nose ring got caught on my sweater when I rubbed my nose. Oh no, I can't get out. <laughs> do you need? Do you oh, require
1: shit. assistance? No.
0: Okay, I got it. I got it. I'm good. I wasn't sure what you were doing. I and was then I'm like, like, it's her nose. I ring. was itching my nose, and my nose ring got caught on my sweater. I'm like. No, although it is. would be appropriate because Kelly, you were there when I yeah caught my earring with my ring on my finger and ripped my ear in half. I just remember the look <laughs> on the bouncer's face when we were like, "Do you have
1: a towel yeah. or napkins?" Literally, or some-. he looked I, like he like. He was between like vomiting and terrified.
0: <laughs> I skipped the line at this bar that was nearby. First of all, I want to preface this we weren't drinking. We hadn't even no, we gotten were that completely bar yet.
1: sober. We were just wandering around. Yeah, we
0: were on our way to go drink. And yeah, so I, I, I skipped the line at this bar. And I have my head to the side so I don't bleed all over my clothes. So I was like, hey, do you have some napkins I could use? And at first he was kind of confused and then sees the blood gushing from my ear. He was like, oh God. And there was like...
1: Not like a chunk of her ear, but like there was like a glob of blood like hanging from her
0: ear. I have, yeah, I have photos. There, there are photos on Facebook. <laughs> you know, I posted that shit. Oh, yeah. Hey, if people can post their food photos that no one cares about, I should get to post my nasty injury photos that some people might actually care about. Actually, we had a friend that commented, and she's like, "How dare you post an injury photo and not the entire story?" I was like, "That that's actually valid. All I'm right. I'm sorry. I will do better and be better next time." He gave me a towel and I was I was literally about to be like we were like oh we'll give it back and he's, he's like, like keep it keep it dear God keep it and walk away right goddamn and then we, now like
1: wandered to a bench and I called my husband and I was like <laughs> do we go to the emergency room he's like I don't fucking know So then we
0: called the nurses line which is probably should have been our first right. call we were acting all kinds of dopey for being completely sober. Right. Uh, and they were like, well, for aesthetic purposes, you probably want to get stitches. Otherwise, the ear is going to heal really weird. And we like, okay. And then we were in the ER until like four in the goddamn yeah, morning. Fun. And never at any point did we get to drink. <laughs> That's okay. That's why we have this podcast. We're making up for yeah. that, that, that singular event exactly. where We're I needed twenty like stitches so in my ear.
1: Wasted that night.
0: God can't. we you, need to
1: have a several year long podcast? Can you
0: imagine how much I would have started bleeding had I been drunk? Oh god. Although I probably wouldn't have felt it. I probably wouldn't even notice. I mean, noticed. you didn't
1: really feel it at first until you, it was one of those, you didn't feel it until you saw the blood and then you're like, what? And then we're
0: like, oh God, your ear. It just, it just felt like I had yanked on my ear really hard. I didn't realize that I had ripped it open. Yeah, until I said something. It was gross. By the way, I really hope no one's eating while listening to this. Anyways. Also, if you want those photos, funerary cult, let, let me know and know. I'll, I'll post them on Patreon. Yeah, like if you we'll if you want as, that like, sensitive
1: content, so that not everyone has to see it if they don't want to.
0: Uh, yeah, it's it's fine. So,
1: this woman was recommended to me by my sister in law, Caitlin. So, hi, Caitlin,
0: who was on one of our episodes yeah. where she had that like sexy vocal fry that ASMR daddy loves so much.
1: Yeah. Except she was sick, so it wasn't, like, (laughs) intentional. It was still sexy, though. It was sexy.
0: Yeah. Now ASMRJ is our best friend. Yay!
1: (laughs) So I'm covering Jocelyn Elders.
0: Fantastic name. Jocelyn is one of those ones that we need to bring back.
1: Yeah, it is. I like that name so much. So Jocelyn was born Minnie
0: Lee Jones. (gasps) Oh, that might actually be a better name. Minnie? That's another name we need to bring back. Minnie.
1: Um, she was born in Shaw, Arkansas. It's Arkansas. Arkansas. That's complete other side tangent. That's another like name from the United States that like people look at and they. That's like if you're f- frenetically. Did you just say frenetically? I did. Freneti- phonetically. Phonetically. <laughs> Frenetics is something completely different. <laughs> um, like if you phonetically read Arkansas, it's Arkansas,
0: which we are legally obligated to mispronounce at every opportunity and yes. call it Arkansas. I know.
1: So I'm sorry people from Arkansas. But, but
0: by God, if Arkansas. you if you pronounce the S at the end of Illinois, you're dead to me. Right? How dare I you? I did that once and she's like, Kelly. And
1: I'm like, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, I actually, there was a t-shirt at Hot Topic many, many moons ago that said, it had like the outline of Illinois and it said the S is silent, stupid. And I almost bought it for my mom. And then she saw the same shirt and almost bought it for me. <laughs> That'd have
1: been great if you guys had bought it for each other Uh, as a gift. Yeah, matched. Anyways, she was born to a poor farm sharecropping family, which we've discussed sharecropping, so I'm not going to go into it. And she was the eldest of eight
0: children. Oh wow! Yeah, all the kids. So she was the the mom sibling and the mom friend. so.
1: (laughs) Um, So she would go on to become valedictorian of her high school class. And in college she would change her name from um from Minnie Lee to Minnie Jocelyn Lee.
0: She just threw in another name. I have to say I do love how she's like rebranding herself and making her name sound like more of a descriptive sentence. Right. Now she's not just Joss she's not Jocelyn Lee, she's a Minnie Jocelyn, Jocelyn Lee. Lee. Yeah. She fits right in your purse. You just have to be careful Carry because some people try to try to like pass off Regular size Jocelyn Lees, as many Jocelyn Lees, and you Bay. don't know until like a year until they, and they grow explode. Up and it's Yeah, bad. yeah. What's up, mini pigs? Yeah, right. Micro pigs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so she would go on to receive her Bachelor of Science degree in biology from Flander University. or sorry, Flander Smith College in Little Rock, Arkansas, where she would also pledge Delta Sigma Theta. Yay sororities. Um, she would briefly marry Cornel- Cornelius Reynolds, who was a federal employee. That wouldn't last very long. And then she would also later marry Oliver Elders, which is where she picked up her last name, although that didn't last
0: very long either. OK, can you imagine, though, if Cornelius and her second husband married and then that dude's name Cornelius became Cornelius Elders. Elders? OK, if anyone's writing like their fantasy book, that's a name. Yeah. Make that a character and he's a king or something like really fancy. Right. So Ruth,
1: not Ruth, Jocelyn, my other notes are up so that I can add to your story. Um, Jocelyn started working as a nurse's aide in in the Veterans Administration Hospital in Milwaukee.
0: Oh, my good. Good for her. Yeah. That's not easy. No.
1: And then she would go on to join the United States Army in May of 1953. Oh, snap. Um, She would stay in there for three years, becoming a second lieutenant. And during that time, she was trained as a physical therapist. I have to that's, say, that's what she did for the Army. That's
0: a bold move, seeing how the VA operates and then still deciding to join the military. Right.
1: Um, she then attended the University of Arkansas Medical School, where she got her medical degree in 1960. She would then go on to complete an uni- uh, internship at the University of Minnesota Hospital. <gasps> U of M, go first. Um, and then she would do a residency in pediatrics back at the uni- University of Arkansas. She would earn her master's in science, or er, Master of Science in Biochemistry in 1967. So she has her medical doctorate and a Master's of Biochemistry.
0: Good God, nerd! Right? <laughs> um,
1: after which she would start serving as an assistant professor in Pediatrics at the University of Arkansas, where she graduated from, and she would receive the National Institutes of Health Career Development Award, basically because she's she's gotten all these degrees. She's like constantly
0: yeah. bettering herself. Yeah. So she's collecting degrees like Girl Scout badges.
1: Right. So from being an assistant professor, she got promoted to associate professor after like four years, and then to full-time professor five years after that. So she's actually like making her way up in the world. I was going to
0: say, this is normally the part of the story where we find out that they're relegated to being a TA forever, who's more qualified than the people she's working for. sexism and
1: racism. It's coming. It's coming. No. Just not in this area. (laughs) Um... During this time, her research in, uh, interests were really focused on endocrinology, and she received board certification as a pediatric end- endocrinologist in 1978. She was the first person in the state of Arkansas to do so. Not first woman, not first black woman,
0: not first, first black person. person. Yeah, full fucking stop. Yeah, that's awesome. what's, Full stop. What's endocrinology again? Uh,
1: endocrinology is...
0: And don't tell me it's the study of the endocrinesis system, because that doesn't help. Um... No, I think it's like your
1: like digestive system. Oh, really? It. I googled it just to make sure I was right. And endocrinology is a branch of medicine that deals with the endocrine system.
0: See, and I fucking hate that you don't get to use the word you're defining in the definition. <laughs> you goddamn bastard! I love that. How yeah, dare you?
1: So, um. This also would include like diabetes, thyroid disorder, growth hormone deficiency. Um, so that, I guess the endocrine system is a lot of like glands and organs and stuff like that.
0: Cool. Glands and organs. I can get on board with that. Yeah. I've got some of those floating around in there. Deals a lot with
1: like hormones and, you know.
0: I also have those floating around ever inside. Ever since my
1: surgery, that's, what I, that's who I see every year is an endocrinologist. That's right. Um So in 1987, the then governor of Arkansas, Bill Clinton. I was just going to say, it's
0: Billy Clinton. Yep. Billy, Um, keep it in your fucking pants, Clinton.
1: Appointed Jocelyn as director of the Arkansas Department of Health, making her the first African-American woman in the state to hold this position. So he's being progressive. Yeah. Um, Some of her major accomplishments while in office uh, include reducing teen pregnancy rate, By increasing the availability of birth control. Shocker. Oh my
0: God. Um,
1: Counseling for like teens and like pregnant teens and all that stuff. Sex education at school-based clinics.
0: Yeah, so like it's mandated by the school. You go to school, you get sex ed.
1: Um, A tenfold increase in early childhood screenings and a 24% rise in the immunization rate for two-year-olds. So Lady like Jocelyn, she's I love getting you.
0: shit done. So when when you talked about the, you said governor, yeah, the then yeah, governor. The, this, Bill is Clinton. The 80s. So this is the eighties. So this is this is around the same time that Ruth Coker Burks is doing her work for HIV and AIDS patients. I was about to say. And she knew Bill Clinton. I can't mm-hmm. remember how, but she appealed to him for additional help and brought the issue more to his. Right. So I, so I just kind of want to put this framework mm-hmm. in there. Arkansas is not a happy place for this kind of health care. It was not, you know, mm. it was not kind to AIDS patients. It was not kind for sexual education, like had even heterosexual sexual education, let alone, right. you know, hetero and homosexual sex ed. Yeah. So the fact that she is doing all this in Arkansas in the 80s, in an official capacity, too, is a huge fucking deal. Well, and she did more. I'm not done. Oh, I know, but I just want to lay lay that out. Like, this is a big deal because Arkansas was not chill.
1: Right. So she also got better hospice care for the elderly. She expanded Arkansas's availability of HIV testing and counseling service (gasps) for those with HIV and AIDS, as well as breast cancer screenings for women.
0: I hope she knows Ruth Coker-Burks, and they have, like, Tea parties. Tea parties. Exactly. I was just gonna say tea parties where they spill um, the tea. She's still alive. And so is Ruth. I know. Okay. Ruth, if you are listening, hook up with Jocelyn. I have a tea Jocelyn, party. if you're listening, hook up with Ruth. You guys will friends be call us. best <laughs> fucking friends. Right. <laughs> Live stream that shit. Um so
1: Jocelyn also spent a lot of time working hard to promote the importance of sex education, hygiene, and the prevention of substance abuse in public schools. And then in Toward the end of her career as the director of the Arkansas Health Department, she was elected president of the Association of State and Territorial Health Officers. So she's, like, kind of expanding. Mm -hmm. So as an endocrinologist, um, Jocelyn was especially concerned with young diabetic women getting pregnant. Because that can cause a lot of problems. If a young teen woman who had diabetes... Get pregnant, they have a high chance of their bodies rejecting the fetus, and the fetus developing abnormal or abnormalities in utero. Oh. It's much less common today because we have such good prenatal care. Mm-hmm. But back then, it was you know all the
0: way back in the eighties, yeah, all the way back the in Stone the 80s. Age. <laughs> so to to either
1: prevent, like first of all, she would try to prevent these pregnancies from happening because you know it's like teen girls, and she's like, you don't need to be getting pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Um, So she would talk about the dangers of pregnancy and the importance of using contraceptions as well as taking control of their sexuality as soon as they began puberty. They're like, she's like, don't let men use
0: you. I love that because, you know, I think a lot of us receive that fear based sex education where they, you know, pry your eyelids open and just like flash shots of gonorrhea and syphilis in front of you right but this whole idea of hey taking control of your sexuality is empowering versus hey hey watch your sexuality because it's dangerous and you're gonna get hurt and right. it's it's this awful thing instead it's an empowering move to you know right
1: to set, be like, set no. your
0: boundaries say what you want and yeah not like not allow people to use you exactly oh my god I love so her. of the 260 young diabetic women she
1: worked with only one of them became pregnant like in their young life wow right so obviously jocelyn is a strong advocate for sex and reproductive education but she was so she wanted everyone to know but she was especially active in the african-american communities because because like a lot of the older textbooks would say this isn't a quote from her but like Older textbooks would say that only white females had naturally regular periods because white females were on birth control to regulate their periods. So that's what textbooks, like
0: old textbooks would say. That literally makes no goddamn sense. So basically what they're saying is, oh, only white females have regular periods because they're the only ones that will give access to birth control. Like,
1: it's not just that.
0: So
1: one of the things and one of the reasons black females didn't readily seek out birth control is that a lot of black ministers would get up on their pulpits saying that, that um, birth control was the genocide of the blacks. Now. So it was very much the, like you're not having babies to increase our race.
0: Right. Right. And so
1: like, because you know, like ministers are saying this, you know, the women are like, Oh, if I go and get birth control, I'm going to be shamed. So think like, catholics in like yeah. the 171800s
0: where you, it's like even, you're
1: getting married to have babies to have more catholics even
0: even in the 90s there oh, they were, still say it if you do a yeah. full
1: catholic wedding you still have to say that there you was a, like repopulate or populate the earth or whatever
0: there was a there was a mom who was uh at my school and yeah she yeah. because of the catholicism thing she couldn't be on birth yeah. control and
1: I mean, the Duggars.
0: Okay, those people are totally nuts, though. No, they
1: definitely (laughs) are. But their whole thing is they won't go on birth control. Yeah. Um,
0: Well, and something else about this, I think it's worth pointing out that the development of birth control and even the study of gynecology has a lot of history in taking advantage of women of color mm -hmm. and even doing um, non-consensual surgeries on black women because the prevailing myth was, oh, well, they can't feel pain. So yeah, not only are they getting these disgusting. involuntary surgeries, but they're not given anything for the pain because doctors were asserting that they couldn't feel it. Right. So it gross. I understand why that mentality of birth control is bad for right. black black people would come up because developing it, gynecologist, all that stuff has right. a lot of darkness behind it.
1: Um, So obviously because of like these black ministers getting up and saying stuff like that, Jocelyn was very vocal about her disgust with black men exploiting young black women and stripping them of their reproductive health choices. Quote, if you can't control your reproduction, you
0: can't control your life.
1: I feel like that should be like a banner today for those states that are like, no abortion. Yeah, no, it
0: literally is. I mean... And, and so, some of the laws that are like, oh, if you have a miscarriage and we determine that it wasn't natural by our yeah,
1: like you're gonna arbitrary to crit-
0: criteria. There was a woman who got shot by someone else while she was pregnant and she survived, lost the baby, but somehow it's her fault that she lost the it's baby bullshit. even though a t- totally unrelated person shot her? Like, come on. Like, um, can, can you imagine like a miscarriage is traumatic it is something like no one wants to go through it's very difficult and then can you imagine someone being like oh by the way we're deeming this your fault and now you're going to prison for it right I I mean that's hell yeah
1: God. so in January of 1993 Bill Clinton the guy who was her governor became president of the 42nd president of the United States mm-hmm. and he appointed Jocelyn Elders as the United States Surgeon General
0: Holy shit, I did not know that.
1: Mm -hmm. This made her the first African-American and only the second woman following Antonia Novella to hold the position of Surgeon General.
0: That is wild.
1: At her confirmation hearing, Jocelyn would respond to criticism over an incident in which she had decided not to notify the public that condoms her department had distributed in Arkansas had been found defective with a failure rate ten times the allowed rate. Oh, She said, quote, I don't know whether the decision the decision to do that had been correct, but she believed at the time that public disclosure would lead to a public loss of faith in the eff- efficacy of condoms, which would have been a greater danger.
0: Okay, so I understand where she's coming from. That being said, the truth comes out, mm-hmm. and the fact that you lied about it or covered something up damages the trust. that right. you, Because I would rather be notified immediately and like oh hey they're looking out for me and they don't want me to use a defective condom right exactly like, hey they screwed but like, up I but also
1: get that she's coming from communities that are already like mm, super about suspicious birth control, so like I can see both sides
0: yeah I, I mean I personally don't agree with her decision I, don't I understand either. the reasoning
1: exactly I understand yeah. the reasoning and I can kind of see the other side but I don't agree with her either
0: yeah Worse than all—that's what we do here. Exactly.
1: She was a very controversial choice, and but a strong backer of the Clinton healthcare plan. But because of the controversy surrounding her, she wasn't actually confirmed as United States general until September of 1993.
0: Okay, so he was sworn into office in January, and that's when he.
1: That's when he like appointed her, but she wasn't actually confirmed in office as Surgeon General until September. Jesus fucking Christ. Jocelyn believes that the opposition to her as Surgeon General um, was driven by sexism and racism. Quote, some people in the American Medical Association, a certain group of them, didn't even know that I was a physician. They were passing a resolution to say that from now on, every Surgeon General must be a physician, which was a knock at me. They don't expect a black female to have accomplished what I have and to have done the things that I
0: have. Okay, can you imagine that I really in wish response... they would have made
1: that and she would have been like, "Yeah,
0: I'm still surgeon general. Here's my doctorate." I was going to say, "Can you imagine?" Like people in response to you being elected to this office, trying to pass something. It's like, well, you you can only do it if you're a physician. And then her just being like, you know what? That's actually, I love that idea. I totally get behind it. And they pass it. And then she's like, BT dubs. I'm a fucking physician, you dummies. Right. I know LinkedIn isn't a big deal right now, but like do your homework. That's funny. (laughs)
1: So during an interview, she was actually asked if she related to Shirley Chisholm's statement about feeling more oppressed as a woman than as an African-American, which we've talked about when we
0: covered her. Yeah, because Um, her thing was like, even black men discounted her because she was a woman. Right.
1: And she replied simply by saying, I am who I am because I'm a black woman. So she didn't really say one way or the other.
0: Well, and yeah, I mean, that's not something that's necessarily true across the board. Shirley Chisholm's experience is totally valid, but maybe not. Be hers, but I love. She's like right. you know what? Instead of like doing this whole divisive thing, I'm, I, right. am who I, I am who I am, and I am I, I love myself, right. and I'm happy with myself.
1: The good thing about her being surgeon general though was she was able to lend a voice to her community, the African American community in in this you know the early '90s climate, and speak not only to the African American community but poverty in general and its role in teen pregnancy and all of these other issues that they were facing, which was a major issue in the American community as a whole. Yeah. Like the early nineties had a big teen pregnancy problem.
0: Well, and let's talk about the links between poverty and early unintended pregnancy. Mm. Oh my God.
1: It's a thing. So poor African American teenage mothers are quote captive to a slavery. The 13th amendment did not, did not anticipate, which is a major reason why she stressed the importance of teaching sex education in public schools.
0: Thank you. Right. Jocelyn, honey, thank you.
1: So a surgeon general, she quickly developed a reputation for being controversial, obviously. Even today, there's a lot of people that don't agree with sex education in schools. Um, And to
0: those people, we say, go, go away. Shoot. No, thank you. So
1: (laughs) as many surgeon generals before her, you know, each surgeon general is going to be outspoken about whatever cause they support. And so Mm -hmm. she was just as outspoken about her causes What things she argued for while she was in office was the exploration of the possibility of drug legalization.
0: Oh, um,
1: back distribution of contraceptives in school, and then sex education. I love her. Um, When people would speak out um, against Jocelyn, President Clinton would stand by her, saying that she was misunderstood.
0: Well, you know, here's the thing. At the beginning, I I will say it's going to turn. Oh no. God damn it, Clinton. Um, I will say like this whole idea that she's misunderstood, it's like, no, it's that people aren't ready for these hard truths Exactly, because everything she's talking about is stuff that one, we're still talking about and 2 I've even made headway on. Right. Where it's becoming the weird, I don't know, not everywhere, obviously, but it's becoming the weird thing to be against sex education. Right. There's more of a movement for legalizing certain drugs like cannabis. Exactly. It like and she's doing this in the nineties. Oh yeah. And this is post Reagan war on drugs era. So this is a total 180.
1: Um So um Jocelyn started drawing fire um from, you know, conservatives. From a lot of different people, <laughs> and starting, and this is when the Clinton administration like started disapproving of her, and then it's it's going to go downhill. We're st- we're at we're at it. the like not the cusp of the hill. We're just past that. Yeah. We're like on the downhill.
0: Where you know where you start putting your arms up and you're ready. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where yeah your, that's where, where we're at. Where, <laughs> where your stomach flies up inside yeah. your chest cavity. Yeah.
1: So what made the Clinton administration start disliking her? was that she suggested that legalizing drugs might help reduce crime and that the idea should be studied.
0: I love she's not even saying, hey, let's do it. She's like, right. let's see if that would actually work. Yes. Oh,
1: God. But some controversial things started happening. So one week after making these comments that, you know, hey, we should look into maybe legalizing drugs and see what it does to the crime rate.
0: Yeah, we, we should study this. Right? Potential solution. So one week later, her son Kevin was charged with selling
1: cocaine <gasps> in an incident involving undercover officers that apparently happened four months prior. But she, he wasn't charged until one week after she made those statements. Oh,
0: no. Um, Jocelyn
1: firmly believes that the incident was a frame-up and the timing of the charges was designed to not only embarrass her, but the president as well.
0: Yeah. Kevin was
1: convicted and he was sentenced to 10 years in prison, of which he only served four months because he would appeal his conviction to the Arkansas Supreme Court. However, the court would reaffirm the conviction. The court held that Kevin failed to show that he was entrapped into making the narcotics sale.
0: Okay, then why did they let him off after only yeah, four it's months? Super it, sketchy. It, it kind of sounds they're like, well, we're not saying that we messed up or that we were wrong, but go away. Right. That's sketch. Right.
1: So once the drug scandal was kind of in the mist. She, she picked a new topic. We're January 1994. I'd say we're one year into her Surgeon General run, but really we're like five months in. Because she wasn't confirmed yep. until September. So in January 1994, she was asked about abortion.
0: <gasps> oh, snap. That's still a
1: controversial topic.
0: Incredibly. This is her
1: quote, and I'm not trying to offend anyone. And, you know, if this offends you, I'm sorry, but this is what she said. Quote, we really need to get over this love affair with the fetus and start worrying about children. I'm just going to
0: say I 100% agree with that yeah. because this, you know, we we demonize families for having too many children that they but can't then afford. But we also don't
1: want them to get rid of any children if they get pregnant. And then, then we don't want them.
0: But then we also don't want them to avoid pregnancy by offering contraceptives We're or a good even Plan society B. Sometimes, yeah, like it it logically doesn't make sense. But then we. You know, there, there's all this focus on, you know, making sure an unwa- an unintended pregnancy comes to term. But then once the baby's born, right. then it's like, oh, well, you shouldn't have had that kid if you can't afford them. Right. Like, oh, we don't want to support social programs that support low-income families and children in low-income right. families. It's like you can't have it both ways. You can't. You can't have the cake and eat it, too. Yeah, as much um, as I
1: would love that. So as the downhill continues... Later that year, she was invited to speak at the United Nations Conference on AIDS. Yay! Oh, good for her! Um, And during that conference, she was asked whether it would be appropriate to promote masturbation as a means of preventing young people from engaging in riskier forms of sexual activity. This was her response. Quote, as per your specific question in regards to masturbation, I think that is something that is part of the human sexuality and it's a part of something that perhaps should be taught. But we're not even taught... We haven't even taught our children the very basics, and I feel that we have tried ignorance for a very long time, and it's time we try education. And I 1,000% agree with
0: that. And I love she's, like, that's kind of a yes or no question. And she's like, how can we even begin to have the conversation about self-pleasure when we can't even talk about the most basic elements of human sexuality? Yeah. And also regardless of whether you're trying to, you know, lessen people having sex with each other, self-pleasure, masturbation, it's normal. It's okay. You're not going to go blind. Hair's not going to grow on your palms. That's why I love
1: that, like, her first sentence is, I think that is something that is part of human sexuality. Yeah,
0: it's normal. Right. So
1: that remark or the remarks about masturbation were so controversial. You got to be kidding me. That it resulted in Jocelyn losing the support of the White House um and her resigning from being surgeon general she under is, under President Clinton. She is She's
0: literally living in the year 2022. Right. And everyone else is stuck in
1: 1950. Exactly. Um oh so my god. For what happened, Clinton's chief of staff said, there have been many, too many areas where the president does not agree with her views, and this is just one too many. It's masturbation. Like,
0: I'm sorry, let's all Bill Clinton,
1: go masturbate, and maybe you wouldn't sleep around on your wife.
0: Well, here's the thing. Bill Clinton is a sexual predator. He would whip his his genitalia out in front of unconsenting people, and people who work for him, where there's an inherent power dynamic... Oh, yeah,
1: it was bad. He...
0: He does not get right. to fucking say, well, you shouldn't say that. That's inappropriate. Like, sir, go fuck yourself. Right.
1: What I love, though, is the next year, this led to a retailer named Good Vibrations, which is obviously <gasps> a, a very sex positive retailer, yes. to, pro- to proclaim May 28th as National Masturbation Day in honor of Jocelyn, you know, and her advocacy.
0: Hold on. I'm marking my calendar right now. You said May 28? May 28. Everyone mark your calendars. Right. Maybe, maybe um, if everyone climaxes at the same time, you can send enough positive vibes into the world to like fix everything. <laughs>
1: That'd be great. No more coronavirus. <laughs> yes.
0: That's the cure to COVID. Self-pleasure.
1: That'd be kind of funny. Um, so a collection of her professional papers based on like all of those topics is held at the National Library of Medicine in Bethesda, Maryland. So since leaving her post as Surgeon General, which to remind you, that was 1994. So that was only 16 years, 17 years ago. It's not that much. Yeah. So after leaving, she returned to the University of Arkansas um, and the School for Medical Sciences as a professor professor of pediatrics. And she is currently Professor Emerita um, there, which I think is... Like a, I mean, it's a big position, but I don't remember what it stands for.
0: It stands for Awesome Ma'am. Apparently it
1: means retired.
0: Oh, I feel like we've talked about this before.
1: What is an emeritus professor? Is a title that may be awarded where a professor has permanently retired from regular continuous employment. So like they can still... Appropriate employment agreements will apply if an emeritus professor is appointed to a paid position. Interesting. So, like, she might still like go and like teach like a class here and there, but she's not like a full time professor. Okay, anymore. she doesn't
0: get her own office anymore.
1: No, she is. Uh, she is, however, still regularly on the lecture circuit, speaking against teen pregnancy. She has appeared on TV with Penn and Teller uh, on their show Bullshit during an episode on abstinence, where she says that abstinence only programs. She considers them to be child abuse.
0: Here's the thing. Statistically, states that only teach absence only sex education.
1: Their teenage pregnancy rates are ridiculous. Yeah.
0: It's like, okay. this High. They're
1: ridiculously high. That's what I mean. Yeah.
0: It logistically does not work. Why do we keep doing it?
1: So she would also talk about um, teenage sex education, masturbation, and contraceptives on the show. In 2009... Jocelyn teamed up with the University of Minnesota go <gasps> to establish the nation's first chair in sexual health education, which is a fund to attract and retain uni- outstanding tenured sexual health education faculty to the program of um, human sexuality at the University of Minnesota Medical School.
0: Oh, my damn.
1: Yeah. Um, in... 2013, she was interviewed for a documentary titled How to Lose Your Virginity (gasps) on her opinions regarding comprehensive sex education versus abstinence only sex education, which we know how even me and Emily feel on that.
0: I mean, if you have not been paying attention. Comprehensive Sex
1: Education for the Win.
0: Yes. Um, that, that should be some of our merch. It just It's a t-shirt that says Comprehensive Sexual Education for the Win. Yeah. F-T-W. Yeah.
1: Right? Jocelyn wrote a book in an attempt to present her side of the controversies that happened during her 16-month tenure as Surgeon General, which I would love to read. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2010, in October, she wrote an article that voiced support for the legalization of marijuana, <gasps> quote, I think we consume far more dangerous drugs that are legal. Cigarette smoking, nicotine, and alcohol. I feel they cause much more devastating effects physically, and we need to lift the prohibition on marijuana.
0: Jocelyn might be coming after me in a very personal way, but I agree with her.
1: (laughs) Right? She received a Candace Award from the National Coalition of 100 Black Women in 1991, and she was inducted into Omicron Delta Kappa as an honoris causa initiate at the SUNY Plattsburgh in 1996. And as I said, she is still alive. She's still on the lecture circuit. Uh, she's a badass, obviously.
0: God, I fucking love her. I know. I'm like, like I want to meet her. I feel, I feel so bad because the stuff she's talking about, you and I are hearing it and we're like, I- I'm sorry, that's right. controversial. We literally elected someone who bragged about sexually assaulting women. Right. But this is controversial. Right. Like, it's, I don't know, it's crazy because you and I grew up in the 90s and, like, came of age in the early aughts, and it doesn't always feel like that long ago, but seeing the difference on how we treat some of these issues and the attitudes towards them is just... Isn't it ridiculous? It's nine day.
1: So, yeah, it, she she's only
0: 88, which is not that old. No, no. She's still young and spry and ready to fucking kick ass. Right?
1: All up and down. Um, She did win Glamour's... Um, Woman of the year award, but I
0: couldn't figure out what year she won it. But she did. She's the woman of the year in my heart. Jocelyn, honey, you, they did you dirty. They did. They, everyone's got their- I definitely want to read her book. Everyone's got their heads back in 1950 and she's living in the year 2022. Like, hey, comprehensive sex education and like- Right, Access to birth control, and let's not police women's bodies, and let's give them autonomy over their sexuality and empower them. And everyone's like, "Ew, that's I'm controversial here for everything." She is here for. I love it, everything. So, okay, if anyone knows Jocelyn personally, Doctor Jocelyn, excuse me, uh, maybe just like, oh
1: no, tell her hi how- for.
0: Yeah, just, t- just tell, tell her, her hi. Me. Give her give her a fist bump or a high five or whatever her, like, congratulatory greeting preference is. Right. Hug her if you can, because I need to hug her.
1: They did you, Dirty Jocelyn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that amazing story. Uh, yeah. I am also in the same vein, as you know, because you did the same research on the same exact woman I'm I about did. to cover. <laughs> It finally happened where one of us didn't even like. It's happened once before, but Kelly was covering three people, women, yeah. and I was covering one of those three women. But this is the first time it has happened where we have covered the same woman, and neither of us has a backup. Honestly, I'm shocked. I'm we sure started this, it took
1: us like three years almost. Yeah, we
0: are we are on the cusp of our three year anniversary, and this is the first time. That we're like, oh shit, we covered the same woman and we don't have a I'm plan like, B. A a
1: little sad because, like, I really liked her story, but it's okay.
0: It, it, it's still getting told yeah. and you still get to chime in big time because you know everything I'm about to say. Yay. And so today I'm whining about featuring Kelly, mm-hmm. Dr. Ruth Jeanette Temple. Yay. And I called this, her body is a temple, her mind That's is good. also a temple. Yeah. She is a temple She's of a temple. magic. Oh. So Ruth Jeanette Temple was born in Natchez, Mississippi in 1892. And we don't have a specific date that she was born, but I just want to point out this means she could have definitely been born on the same day that Lizzie Borden murdered her parents. And this is why we need to write that shit down to prevent people like me from headcanoning that she was born on the same day of a brutal double murder. Thank you. So she was born uh, the second child of 7 and she was one of 5 surviving siblings because infant mortality rates were a bitch.
1: Yay.
0: And then Ruth's great grandparents actually were enslaved people. Her great grandmother was a seamstress who saved up enough money to purchase the freedom for her 5 children, but the, the her master refused to let her buy her own freedom saying she was too valuable. Yep.
1: That happened very frequently and it's terrible yeah so this
0: whole idea of like buying your freedom it's like no it first of all they could just
1: straight up yeah tell you no you're too you're too valuable you can't purchase yourself yeah
0: beyond the idea of a human being having a price tag on them it was totally at the discretion of who you were giving the money to they could just be like no no that's not enough or just be like no sale like how fucking awful so she died in slavery while her children went free Ruth's great-grandfather, I think, believe this is on the other side of the family, I couldn't figure out which side was which, but her great-grandfather was auctioned into slavery but refused to work, claiming he was a prince and would not be reduced to the level of a slave. The slave owner who, who purchased him whipped him all night, attempting to break the defiant man's spirit. He died, still asserting, I am a prince, never a slave. And this is like the incredible badassery that is flowing through this woman's veins. And like, it just, it blows my mind. So Ruth's father, Richard Jason Temple, also has this amazing badass blood flowing through his veins. He was a Baptist minister who graduated from Denison University and encouraged his children to get an education. He knew the world was not too welcoming to educated black people and brought up his children to not accept these racial barriers. He's like, hey, a bunch of people are going to tell you you can't do things because of stupid reasons. They're stupid. stupid. (laughs) Exactly. Richard would share his books that were written in Greek and Hebrew with theologians of other faiths. So he was really big into this whole, like, it's almost like human race is one big family and we're drawing these barriers and divides that shouldn't actually exist. And
1: he made his home, like his home where he lived with his family, open to anyone. Yes. All backgrounds, creeds, colors,
0: didn't matter. Richard had met his wife, Amy Montague Morton. Mm. Montague, that's that's another name we need to bring the
1: Montagues back. Montague's in the
0: Capulets. Yep. Uh, so he met her at the Astoria Hotel in New York, where they were both working to pay for their college, which I'm like, oh, that's cute. They're both like working to better themselves and like doing the damn thing. And they meet in the super fancy right. hotel. They fell in love and got engaged. But Aww. when Richard told Amy that he felt a calling to go south, Amy was understandably resistant to the idea because the South was not exactly a friendly place to black people. Hmm. Surprise, surprise. Richard told her, quote, Don't worry, Amy. It'll be all right because what we'll do, we'll get a house by the side of the road where the people pass by. People will come into our house. All people, all kinds of people of all races, all creeds, all colors, and all educational backgrounds. Our children will learn love before they learn hate. The rest won't matter. Again, Richard is living in the year 2022. (laughs) His influence would later help Ruth break into integrated spaces later in her life. So this was a big deal. From her mother, Amy, Ruth learned empathy and compassion. Uh, Amy was a nurse who valued community and would welcome those in need into her home for food and clothing. And as admirable as that is, I'm just going to say this right now: please don't let strangers into your house. Don't do it. Go volunteer somewhere. Don't let strangers into your house. Right. That's my that's my PSA for the day. Don't let strangers inside. They might be vampires. So Ruth would later say about growing up in such an open and caring environment, quote, it didn't make any difference to me about race. And to this day, I can't see how people look at race as a measure of people. Right. I just like, it's literally makes no sense. I just
1: think it's great that her dad was like, I'm going to do this thing for you and keep you safe. And he did.
0: Mm -hmm. He bought like
1: 300 acres or something and like built this house by the side of the road for his wife to basically not be in a city and be like, This way, we don't have to deal with people and their
0: bullshit. Yeah, I mean, it was he had this very optimistic outlook, but also knew that wasn't reality. Right. He knew other people didn't view the world that way. Yeah, but he's like, well, if I act, if I act in a way that accepts that the world isn't that way, instead of trying to do better, then it's not going to get better. Right. You know, he he was able to kind of tread that line between naivete and like being a good person and trying right. to make positive change great. Yep. unfortunately Richard fell ill and died in 1902 leaving Amy to care for 10 year old Ruth and her siblings alone my god what can, can you imagine being a single mother of five children having being a single mother of one child would be a right. lot oh yeah <laughs> The family moved to the, to Southeast Los Angeles where her mother homeschooled them before she had to go back to work as a nurse to support her family.
1: Right. Like, the dad's gone. She has to make money. Yeah.
0: So Ruth, who was incredibly close with her father, said, quote, when he left us, I was heartbroken. It was the first real catastrophe I ever had, which I can only imagine, like. I'm 30 years old. Oh God, I can't imagine
1: losing my dad. I still
0: get stressed about like- I do too. My parents' mortality. It freaks me out big time. And I'm a grown ass woman, like let alone a 10 year old child. Right. So this whole whole trauma left Ruth, the oldest daughter, to act as mother while her own was working. Which was not uncommon at the time. Oh, not at all. Especially in a big family like that. Yeah. And I feel like- Every older sibling has a story like this that I'm about to tell, but Ruth truly had a trial by fire when it came to caring for her siblings. So one day, while Ruth was in charge, her 13 year old brother, note, this is the oldest sibling. So that's
1: interesting. He's older than her. My note said that Ruth was 13 at the time.
0: Okay. Um,
1: Someone was 13. There was a 13 year old involved in the story. I
0: just, I read that this was her older brother. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, her oldest. But, yep older like still she's the one in charge but there's this older brother brother floating around isn't
1: that interesting and we're about
0: to find out why he was not in charge so his name's walter Mm -hmm. and he was playing with gunpowder outside i mean at least he's outside it (laughs) could he could be inside blow up the house i love you're like i mean he could have been more irresponsible (laughs) exactly good god uh so this was the moment where i realized maybe ruth was in charge not because it's a girl's job to take care of everyone but because walter was a bit of a wild card (laughs) Unfortunately, the teenager playing with gunpowder ended the only way it ever does. Walter uh, put it into put the gunpowder into a hose and lit it and it blew up in his face. Quite literally. literally. Yeah. This is actually where that phrase comes from. <laughs> Ruth tells this story all the time. Like, yeah, it blew up in my brother's face. And it just became a just can't sing. lovely colloquialism. So Ruth, being a total badass, rushed over to help her brother, who by all accounts may have been missing his entire face. She grabbed her writhing brother on the ground and cleared the soot from his face. Thank God he only suffered a singed eyebrow, which truly I'm like, something is out there. Like how looking fucking out for this lucky kid. that child? Can yeah. you imagine? Like kids have gotten hurt doing less, more hurt doing less.
1: I mean, I got more hurt Friggin' getting out of bed in the middle of the night last night. I hit the edge of my dresser or not the edge of my dresser, the edge of (laughs) like the corner of my bed. And then I went to the bathroom and my knee was bleeding. And I'm like, well, thanks self.
0: My hurts. It's still my stupidest injury story. I was on the balance beam in eighth grade gym class. And one of my friends ran up to me like Mm -hmm. she was going to push me over. But I saw her out of the corner of my eye. So I was like. Very stoic, and I didn't you flinch. You, like, braced yourself? Yeah, and I, so I didn't flinch, and I was like, haha, nice try. Took two steps, fell off on my own, and sprained my ankle. Mm. Which almost rivals the time yeah. where I broke my leg scootering across the street to my neighbor's house while carrying books, and I literally, I just, I didn't even go flying, I just fell off and hit my leg wrong and broke my leg. You're funny. It was very stupid. Anyway, so, um... This so this whole event, this whole debacle sparked a desire in Ruth to care for others and take away their pain. She recalled later quote, "At the time I thought that women were nurses. I didn't know they were doctors. When I learned that women were doctors, I said, ah, that's what I want to be."
1: That's funny. So that like entire section that story and then ending that story with that quote is exactly how it is in my notes too.
0: It's funny because Kelly's husband suggested we just like double team this lady and cover her together. And I'm like, mm, I don't know, like if we're going to have enough to say, because I, mean, I feel could. like our notes are pretty
1: similar. I was saying we could, but like <laughs> mine are like three pages. It would be like the shortest episode ever.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know how many pages mine are. It's more than three. So, uh, this is why representation is so important though, because she oh, didn't yeah. even know women could be anything other than nurses.
1: I mean, those other people from my story didn't either.
0: Yeah, exactly. Literally, they are politicians who are trying to pass legislation to keep this woman from being. It wasn't
1: politicians. It was people on the medical board. Oh, okay. it was doctors. So
0: that's worse because they should super know. So they're trying to pass legislation to keep this woman from becoming Surgeon General on the basis that she's not a physician when, in fact, she is a goddamn physician. Yep. Again, I know LinkedIn and Google was not a thing at the time, but but still get your shit together. All right. So Ruth is like, I'm going to be a doctor. Not that anyone thought she would actually do it as a girl of color from a poor family. She might as well have told people she wanted to grow up to be a rainbow dragon.
1: Right. It's like when Bessie Coleman was like, I'm a fly.
0: And her brother was like, (laughs) no.
1: Yeah, exactly. And And she's she's like, like,
0: screw you. I'm going to France. Spite, 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 (laughs) spite. It's like the best motivator. Right? And this didn't stop Ruth. She's like, I'm gonna do it. And thus a budding physician was born and you can bet your ass Walter took credit for that whenever possible. Pointing to his maybe still like partially singed eyebrow that didn't quite grow back correctly. And this actually wouldn't be the only time that Ruth had to jump into action as a kid. So it wasn't like, oh, this crazy thing happened with her brother. No, like children were (laughs) almost dying around Ruth at a crazy rate. And by the crazy, I mean this happened twice. So her neighbor's youngest son, Ernie, fell into an oil ditch, which is a thing, I guess. I looked it up. It's literally, it looks like a a, a little creek or river filled with oil. I'm like, that's some kind of dystopian nightmare garbage, right? Right. But anyway, he falls into an oil ditch and is carried off for a quarter of a mile. Just awful. Like, no. Ernie was rescued from the raging oil, but he wasn't breathing. While everyone else was freaking out and screaming to call an ambulance, Ruth began administering CPR and was able to resuscitate Ernie, saving the kid's damn life. Also, I'm imagining she's a kid, too. She must have taught herself CPR, right? She must have. Like, she must have just learned that somewhere. I, that, that blows my mind.
1: Do you want to eat dinner with
0: us? Yeah, sure. What do you want? Oh, God. So in 1913, Ruth enrolled in the College of Medical Evangelists, which I know sounds like a cult, but it's now known as Loma Linda University. Right. It
1: does sound like a cult. Yeah.
0: I, I don't know. Like, I'm like, medical evangelists? Hmm. Are they all wearing Nike shoes and track suits? What's going mm. on here? Um, so how does a single mother with five kids pay for her daughter's college? Well, the Temple family had a really great support system. In 1913, Ruth was invited to speak to the Los Angeles Forum, a black civic organization. And a prominent mem- member, Theodore Troy, was so impressed with Ruth that he convinced the organization to foot the bill for her tuition yeah her entire education is like she got a full ride scholarship yeah, and that was
1: something they'd like never done before yeah it was insane
0: Rue said that they quote became deeply interested in my potential and did did the unprecedented thing i love the way she says that like deeply interested the unprecedented thing instead of like they were obsessed with me and were like girl we gotcha <laughs> And this is why community organization support is so important. Right? Yeah. Great. Empowered people empower people. So Ruth graduated with her bachelor's degree in medicine in 1918, becoming the first black woman to graduate from the college and the first woman of color to become a physician in California.
1: Yay.
0: Period. Yep. Her education exposed her to the importance of public health. <gasps> sure. Again, we're, we're kind of getting on that public health train. <clears throat> She said, quote, the one thing about Loma Linda that stands out in my mind, I had one teacher, a Dr. A.W. Truman, who taught us from a book called The Ministry of Healing. This would have be a great episode to do the ministry of the interior mm-hmm. wine, but didn't think it through. It's fine. It was through this book that I got the concept of a truly large program for community work and public health because it gave the life of It gave the life of Christ and the work that he did. So I formulated the total health program on his capital H work and developed it with its relationship to health and modern medicine. So Dr. Truman did a remarkable job of bringing to us practical work in the spirit in which the master physician himself did it. So if the College of Medical Evangelists didn't tip you off to this, it was a very religious school – And Ruth herself was very religious. I think her, I don't know if I included it in here because it was kind of like a side note, but her family co-founded the first like black evangelist church west of the Mississippi. Yeah, with another family. Yeah, yeah. And what I like about this is she's like, this is what God wants us to do. He wants it. He's the master physician. He wants us to help and heal each other. Like, that's what we're put on this earth to do. And it's so refreshing because so often we see religion used as a weapon against people instead of an excuse to help people or like a driving force behind helping people, which I'm like, are we reading from the same book? (laughs) So on February 23rd, uh, 1928, Ruth married Otis Banks, a real estate developer and after graduating, Ruth served as an intern at the Los Angeles City Health Department specializing in obstetrics and gynecology. So babies and vaginas, what's up? Ruth had this innate desire to help people and found that there were a lot of people in the Los Angeles area who needed help and weren't getting it, particularly low-income communities. I will pause while everyone gasps in shock that this is an issue. Right, (laughs) right. She began creating public health services to address the, uh, these underserved communities and opened the first clinic in Southeast Los Angeles, which served the population of 250,000 people. Yep. Just, I mean, super, no big. NBW. Whatever. NBD. <laughs> uh, that, no big whoop. Yeah. So, but can you imagine like that many people and no goddamn clinic? Right. In Los Angeles. like Or no free clinic. Or yes. Cheap clinic. So they weren't exactly giving out funding for this kind of project. Again, everyone, you know, hold your collective gasps. So Ruth improvised. She and her husband, Otis, converted their five-bedroom bungalow into the Temple Health Institute. While they wouldn't have children of their own, they basically adopted the Southeast Los Angeles community. Right. They're I, like,
1: lo- I love that they were just like, you know what? We can't build... Uh, or rent a space, we're just going to make our fucking... like. It reminds me of her dad,
0: who was just like, yeah. let everyone
1: come into our home. And she was like, let everyone come into our home. I'll treat them.
0: If we open our doors, they will come. Yes, very exactly. much so. So the clinic addressed issues that were prevalent in the community, such as immunization, nutrition, substance abuse, and our favorite taboo topic, Sex. sexual education. Quick reminder to our listeners with vaginas, your hymen shouldn't break when you have sex for the first time and you shouldn't bleed during sex at all. If you are bleeding or do bleed, get checked.
1: Unless you're already on your period and then it's fine.
0: Well, that's an entirely different thing. Right. That's like, that's not from the sex. That was, you you were bleeding beforehand. Yeah, that's true. Semantics. So Ruth's focus was on educating parents, children, and teachers in these issues so that they could make healthy choices and to eliminate boundaries to a healthy lifestyle. Because it, you know, the parents grew up and didn't get this education. So how can they pass it on to their kids? Mm -hmm. We're going to educate the parents. We're going to educate the kids so that they grew up with this information. The parents can reinforce that. And then we have the other primary adult figures, teachers who also probably did not get this education, Exactly. also reinforcing that and able to pass on that positive information. So she did this by creating community-based programs such as the Total Health Program, the Healthy Study Center, and the Health Study Club. These programs educated patients about the resources that were available to them within her clinic and also outside of it. So patients were empowered to take care of themselves. So it's not like, hey, here's what you can get from me, but here's what you can get from the state. Right? Like here, here are the resources available to you, which honestly- Social programs are great, but navigating them and finding them can be such a drag. It's I can't tell you I can't tell you how many hours of Googling I had to do to find like basic VA services or basic programs for veterans. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a god and then all the links are outdated because they're from like two years ago. And it's like, God damn it. So she's like, no, here's here's your how-to manual on navigating this overly complex system. In 1941, Ruth was accepted in the public health master's program at Yale University. Mm, yes, yeah. that Yale. Excuse me while I like pop up my collar so it fits under my chin and put on my little top hat and my monocle so I'm fancy. I did a little digging into this because I was like, okay, like what was Yale's whole stance on female students, especially for medicine? So Yale didn't go fully co-ed until 1969 the same year we went to the fucking moon. (laughs) However, some of their programs did accept women before then, such such as the School of Fine Arts in 1869. And this was the first program of theirs to accept women. They didn't accept women as medical students until 1916, which was just three years after Ruth had graduated with her bachelor's degree. So no wonder she was like, I didn't know women could be doctors. Mm. Ruth was awarded a scholarship for attending Yale by the Los Angeles health department who clearly knew a good thing when they saw it. They're like, right. they're like, Oh, this lady's getting shit done. This lady knows her shit. Let's empower her to get to know even more shit. And I love that people are seeing this potential in her and they're eliminate. She she's brilliant. She's brilliant. She's doing this work from a place of caring. She's finding issues in the current health system and trying to address them But there's that barrier of like financial resources for her schooling. And she's so lucky to have people stepping up and be like, we got you. Let me write a check. Just tell me, Yale, cool. I've always wanted to write a check to them. Now I feel fancy. Hold on. Let me get my top hat and my special Yale, my ivory pen or something. (laughs) So, Ruth took the knowledge from her Ivy League education and used it in her public health programs. Ruth's programs were available everywhere from schools and private practices to churches and synagogues, which is a total direct callback to her father's like interfaith activism. Also, she set up shop in a nightclub, yeah, as one does. To combat the pandemic of STDs, she approached Curtis Mosby, who owned a a couple of local nightclubs, proposing that they have a health study club in his nightclubs. And this reminded me a lot of Ruth Cokerberg's going to the the gay clubs Mm -hmm. and being like, yeah, can I give you guys some like sex ed and hand out condoms?
1: Start where the problem is.
0: Exactly. It's exactly it's like go to where the people are and educate them there. So this following quote is long, but it's Ruth telling the story of her like setting up shop in this nightclub, and it's amazing. So she says, so then I came down to the nightclub. I'm a minister's daughter, and I had not been in the habit of frequenting nightclubs, and especially of that group. So Curtis Mosby asked me to go up on the stage, and then he turned the spotlight on me. Immediately, I'd be like, no. (laughs) That would stress me out. Oh, yeah. Here are these people sitting around smoking, drinking, some of them gambling, and honestly, I was so scared to death. Is it like
1: a regular? Is it like a strip club?
0: I don't know if it's a strip club, but it's like kind of a. I imagine at the very least a seedy nightclub.
1: Because they must have dancers or something if they have a stage. I mean, you know, clubs have bands and stuff.
0: I don't know. I don't wanna like I'm assume. not saying it was a strip
1: club. Like they could have just had people like dancing and not stripping.
0: Yeah, but you know, she's a she's a minister's yeah, exactly. daughter. Like she's she's like, like, uh even a super vanilla club, she'd probably be like, What the fuck? Right. <laughs> I, oh God. So, uh, and honestly I was scared to death. I had been doing a great deal of public speaking and always been perfectly at ease. And the thought came to me, Well, people are just people. Damn right they oh, are, I love rude. that. So I started with diphtheria, great opener. Diphtheria always gets your attention, and went from one communicable disease to another, which almost sounds like a joke. Like, oh, I went from one communicable disease to the other, like, ha ha, because you catch them from other people. Am I trying too hard? Am I thinking about it too much? No, Kelly's ignoring
1: it. me. She's like, just no. Shut I was, I like, was shut up. thinking about it. <laughs> I was like,
0: that's so true. Like, yeah. So she goes on to say, I was soon in venereal diseases over my head and over their heads. I, lo- I love she just gets up there and starts being like, so diphtheria, chlamydia, gonorrhea. Which one of you has what? Syphilis. Let's that's talk. Pra- that's probably the big one. Let's talk syphilis.
1: Just a shot in the ass and you'll be fine. <laughs> actually, I think it's two.
0: Don't don't end up like um Al Capone who let it drive like him King insane.
1: George, like the eighth or so something. Many. They, there's, yeah, there's actually a lot of famous like historians that like were a little cuckoo that historians are like, they
0: may have had syphilis. Mm-hmm. So um I was doing venereal diseases that were over my head and over their heads, and I told them I said I'm in the health office here and I need help. And or no, she said, I'm the health officer here and I need help. And they said that they would help me. So we organized a health study club there in Club Alabama, not Alabama, Alabama,
1: Alabama. (laughs) with a big exclamation point, which
0: is now what I am exclusively calling Alabama, Alabama. Honey, are you from Alabama? Because Alabama, (laughs) that's my new pickup line. I have pictures of Dr. Ewell, who was the city health officer, and me sitting here in this nightclub with these people all around us, and it was lots of fun. We would go there. I didn't suggest it. I didn't necessarily approve of the tactics that some of my health study club members used, but I did approve of the results they got. One of them went out on the street one day. He got a prostitute, as we call sex workers, but at the time, this was like the, you know, verbiage. And he said, quote, Do you want to come in and have a drink? She says, sure. So she came in and saw us there in our white coats, gowns, and all the paraphernalia for taking Wasserman tests, which I should have looked up. Wasserman. I assume it's some kind of like medical evaluation. And she was a good sport. (laughs) I love she comes in and she probably thinks like this guy's picking her up and she sees all these doctors. She's like, "Eh, okay. (laughs) It's a test for syphilis. (laughs) Oh, good to know. She took the Wasserman test and didn't get her drink, and so we found a whole lot of syphilis and gonorrhea, and I got it under treatment. They had a band there, just a fellow named Johnny Otis, who used to lead that band, and he'd play the band, and we had our health study club, and oh, it was great. So we've been everywhere, I mean everywhere.
1: Like then just people come in and yep. like, let's test you for venereal
0: diseases. Yep. And then it's not even like a shame thing, like, ooh, you have this, you're bad. It's like, hey, let's treat you so you don't have it. Ruth also became a teacher at White Memorial Hospital in Los Angeles. And this may seem like a dumb move, but at the time the idea of a black woman teaching white medical students who were probably mostly male was totally bonkers, cause you know, racism. Throughout the rest of her life, Ruth continued to be a big fucking deal in the Los Angeles Health Department, holding prominent positions, including director of the Division of Public Health for the city of Los Angeles and receiving awards while she was still alive. So like people were not sleeping on Ruth. They were like, this bitch, she's got it going on. Right. Unlike some of the women that we cover, Ruth was an L.A. legend while she was alive. So she didn't have to be dead for 100 years to get a little recognition. She was also a member of the Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. And if you want to know more about sororities, become a patron. Listen to Kelly's history Happenings bonus episode. Yay! Shameless plug. Other notable members of the AK sorority include author Toni Morrison, who I think's birthday is today. Like February 18th. Happy birthday, Toni. Maya Angelou, honorary Nichelle Nichols honorary katherine johnson who kelly covered all the way back in episode four
1: she's a badass Mae
0: jemison honorary who i covered previously also badass gladys west who i or who i'm pretty sure kelly covered
1: if she hasn't been covered she's definitely
0: been mentioned i think she was the gps lady oh yeah she mapped like the shape of the earth yeah and coretta scott king and bernice king and those are just a few of the names I recognized or thought were like really cool to mention. So she's in good company here. In 1983, the East Los Angeles Health Center was renamed the Dr. Ruth Temple Center. And the following year, Ruth passed away at either 91 or 92 years old. Because remember, we don't know the goddamn day she was born. A portrait of Ruth by Betsy Graves Renu hangs in the National Gallery. And I just want to say... I found so many places where that painting is featured in black and white. It's in color. It's a beautiful colored painting portrait. And it just kind of reminded me of like showing photos from the civil rights movement and making them black and white to yeah. make it seem like, oh, it's so old. She died in the 80s. Right. Calm like, down. It's recent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I didn't get into all of her honors all the things named after her because she is a really big deal but that is the story of dr ruth temple who saw a need and fucking did the damn thing i love it and she completely defied expectations she proved the haters wrong right that's basically like what both of
1: our stories are about yeah just
0: doing the damn thing because it needs to be done exactly and i just i thought it was such a cool story and then especially her origin story of her brother almost blowing his face off and her being like I want to help people who might blow their faces off. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. That is that is uh, Ruth, Doctor Ruth Temple, who Kelly and I both covered. Yay! Yay. Uh, she was worth. She's worth like a a double a double dose. Yeah, she's a badass. Double dose of badass. So Kelly, my dear, my darling, what are you thankful for? Wait,
1: did you mention?
0: Oh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to mention about her that I didn't get to? So you mentioned the Health Study Club. Mm-hmm. Did you mention the Total Health Program? I think I mentioned it in a list, but I didn't get into okay. the details.
1: I just like that it started getting offered at, like, the YMCAs and churches and synagogues. and.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it was a totally, like I said, it was an interfaith, like, anywhere people gather, let's teach them about health. Because right. we all have one thing in common. Our health is important, and we need to take care of it. Like my, uh, my grandmother, she lived to be 95 years old. And one of the things that she would always say before she cheers with, you know, a drink was to good health. Yep. And so I've taken up that practice cause I'm pretty sure it was like her willing it into the universe mm-hmm. because she was, because she didn't live to be like 95 years old where she was in a coma for the last five years of her life. She was living independently on her own with no health issues up until she was 95 years old
1: which is amazing i know so
0: like you know hit the glass on the table cheers to good health nastrovia yeah so kelly what are you thankful for
1: um (laughs) i don't know it's a good week i no i wouldn't have mentioned i got a new job so i'm thankful for that um yeah, like I like I like my coworkers. I work with a member of my my um cohort from school. And so that's really fun. She's a great person. So, yeah, I'm thankful for that. Like that I had the opportunity to move jobs and that it's a good job
0: and that mm-hmm. I'm, you know, enjoying my coworkers. Well, and it's it's in your field, too, which is really wonderful. Ish. It's
1: like field adjacent. It's in your field. It's in my
0: field. It's fine. Okay. Shh. What are you thankful for? Um, God, I'm really thankful that I've been, I don't know, I've been doing really well on my own. I also, I got a part-time job because part of me was just really burned out on negativity. And I know that getting a part-time job seems like the opposite thing you want to do when you're just like, everything's so negative. Right. But it's a really basic gig where like I help out with this hotel uh, and there's social hours. So I'm basic, I'm handing out free wine and beer. So I am everyone's favorite person. Everyone is super nice. I just get I just get to be smiley and pleasant. You always
1: hand out wine and beer. Yeah. That's what you do for two nights every day?
0: Three nights for like two hours. It's yeah. The hotel has a social hour for guests where there's also a free buffet.
1: Yeah. But I, yeah,
0: but I'm like the, the bartender Mm. and like the guests are super nice because they're getting free booze and free food. And I don't know. It's just such a refreshing thing to interact with people and have it be a really pleasant experience. (laughs) Like, obviously, I get positive experiences from, you know, my friends and like, you know, you, Kelly. But being in a work environment and just being able to be nice and smiley is really refreshing. And I get tips. So that's cool. Also, uh, this is this is like a side thing. Uh, The the gal that I work with. So she runs the kitchen and she's like a full time employee. I'm just showing up to serve booze three nights a week but you know, she, she speaks Spanish. That's her, that's her first language. And the person who initially trained me, he's been in the hospitality industry for quite a while. And he, he was speaking to her in Spanish. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool that you've like learned this for your job. And that's, it's so helpful. So I, I downloaded Duolingo and I've been practicing my Spanish. And actually when I was like counting out tips the other night, I was like, oh, I should practice. I go, uno, dos, tres. She's like, oh, do you speak Spanish? I was like, No. And I'm trying to learn <laughs> that's nice though yeah and I so I'm trying to use it like just kind of the, the basic like oh you know gracias de nada you know buenos noches you know oh gracias like I don't know and I I think she appreciates I'm trying <laughs> but yeah that's been like a nice little positive thing oh, yeah good all right. Well, thank you again for listening to another amazing episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpad. Twitter
1: at WAH
0: underscore pod. No. Yes. yes that's exactly it okay <laughs> do, do uh, you ever do something so often and then you overthink like, it and you're like
1: yeah that like, is that is exactly what I did I said it and then I was like no that's not right like
0: like you haven't had to think about it for a long time and then you do think about it and you're like wait is it I have to rethink about yeah. the logic behind this that is 100% what just happened
1: anyways our website is com. our Email is windingaboutherstory at gmail.com where we would love to hear from you. Do you have any weird, like, ear-ripping stories or anything like that? Send them our way. It would be cool. We also have a Patreon, like Emily mentioned earlier, where you can donate for as little as $1 to hear our Herstory happenings and other random stuff.
0: We've got videos on there. Uh, I'm actually going to be showing Kelly a video right after this that might end up on her Patreon if it gets the, the Kelly seal of approval. Right. I was, I was drinking wine and being stupid on my phone and things happen, so.
1: <laughs> We're going to make a Patreon only Facebook page as well so we can maybe do some live videos in the future. We also have some merch on our website. If you just go to our website windingabouthistory.com again and click, click, the, click merch the merch tab nav. and you can buy it right from there. Yeah. Did you just say click the merch shnab?
0: nav? Nav. Cuz that's the navigation and it's the merch nav. I know I heard merch nav and Merch i like, That's going to be our new merch. Merch, merch nav. nav! That's going to be my, just my exclamation for anything. It's like bazinga, yeah, right. <laughs> but even stupider <laughs> somehow. <laughs> all right. Also leave us five stars wherever you listen, which now includes Spotify. Yay. Y'all thank you so much for showing up on Spotify. Cause we got like a crap ton of reviews had, immediately. The last time I
1: looked, we had like 13 yeah. five star reviews and I was like, people like us. Oh my God. And I think we have more than that now. I need to thank all the little people.
0: Including myself because I'm only five one. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About History. Yo soy una mujer, and tú eres una mujer.
1: Yes, I am. <laughs> I am a woman.
0: Yo soy, uh, me amo Emilia.
1: Me amo Kelly.
0: Have an empowered day. Bye. Bye!
1: Adios. <laughs>